Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. So 15 grandchildren means I have to start saving for Christmas around March. But I love them and I love my kids, and I love the fact that you were so kind to invite me to be with you this week. I wanna begin with a word of prayer because I want God to do something in our midst, so let's pray. Father, there's something ridiculous about thinking that a one person could stand in front of a room full of people and say something that might connect with each heart. Every person in this room has unique issues, joys, maybe sorrows, maybe conundrums, maybe uncertainties. How is it possible that one person could say something that could connect with everybody? We know that there was a time in the New Testament where Jesus stood before a crowd and they were all hungry and he took five loaves and two fish, something like crumbs almost for that multitude and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he distributed it, and everybody left satisfied. Would your Holy Spirit this evening do something like that? Would he take the crumbs that are offered? And would each person hear what you want them to hear as testimony to the fact that you so loved them, you gave them exactly what they wanted to hear and needed to hear? For that to happen, something supernatural needs to go on in our midst this evening, and we trust you for it. And thank you by faith for the outcome. In your name we pray, amen. Our text this evening is very short. I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. I've taken it from the 1984 NIV, um, I've translated it myself, and I think that that's probably the closest translation to the original. That's why I selected it. It's a great text because it says there's a level of intimacy with Christ we cannot know if our hearts are not filled with the passion of his love for the world. The word full understanding is one word in the Greek, epigonosko. It's the most intimate word for knowledge. There's a level of intimacy that misses us if we're not involved in his work in the world. Um, I, I think sometimes uh, people think that, well, you know, I think that sharing your faith is really good for those who have the gift. I had a pastor one time even said to me, oh, Jerry, we love to encourage those with the gift of evangelism to do evangelism out of our congregation. I said, I want to come speak to your church so I could tell those people who don't have the gift of giving, they don't have to give anymore. I don't want to go to the church where only those with the gift of mercy are being merciful and kind. All of these areas of giftedness, we're all called to serve in. And some people have an aptitude for it, but that doesn't let us off the hook. We have the opportunity to grow. I do not have the gift of evangelism. I have it as a high value because somebody had enough interest in me that they came and told me about Jesus and I will never stop being grateful for that fact. 
And I've had to learn from my mistakes consequently because I don't come to it naturally. And I believe this with all my heart. Nobody is very life-skilled. If you waited till you were ready to get married, you'd never get married. If you waited till you were ready to have children, the whole human race would end this generation. None of us are very life-skilled. But we don't give up on marriage because we might make a mistake. We don't give up on our children when maybe we misjudge them. We don't give up on our careers if we make a mistake. Why is it that people say, oh, I tried that evangelism thing, I'm never gonna try it again? It's because they miss out on the opportunity of leaning in and learning the skill. You have to take this completely by faith now, but I was an athlete once. And when I would play football, if you got knocked down, what'd you do? You didn't say, oh, that hurt. I think I'll just lay here for the rest of the game. No, you get back up and you get in the game. And that's the way it's done. I think all of us are awkward to some degree. A toddler learning to walk falls down and gets bruised. A five-year-old taking the training wheels off of the two-wheeler falls down and gets abrasions with those bruises. An adolescent picking up a skateboard, learning to skate, they maybe sprain an ankle or break a wrist. I, I, I remember when I went from that one-room school experience to middle school. Do you remember that? How awkward did you feel? Six classrooms in a locker that never seemed to, to open, always stuck. And you were in that adolescent period, which I think is the most purgatorial period of human development. And you were awkward. By the time you were a senior in high school, you could have done it all blindfolded. And I would suggest to you, if you're not awkward someplace in your life, you're just not growing. And if you're not awkward even in your Christian life someplace, you're missing out on what God's trying to do is he develops you spiritually to be more like Christ. So Philippians chapter one gives us the context for which when, when Paul wrote this passage in Philemon six. He was under house arrest in Philippi. And, and he wrote to the church at Philippi, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. How's that possible? It's interesting, by the end of that book, he says, the saints in Caesar's household greet you. How was it that he had his fingers on the pulse of the Roman Empire from a jail cell in Rome? Says the Praetorian Guard was chained next to him. I wonder if he looked at the only person he had available to share with, and he said, by the way, sir, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or the steps to peace with God? And he's sharing with these people. And as they're cycling in and out of the jail cell with Paul, he is developing a world of people who are hearing the gospel. And so he says to these people in Philippi, my circumstances have turned out for the greater process. I had two men. Two different times, come to me and say, Jerry, you gotta pray for me. I'm the only Christian at my place of work and I am miserable. And in both cases, I put my hand on the guy's shoulder and I said, Lord, look at the misery of my friend. Please remove him off this earth, take him home to heaven right now and get him out of his misery. In both cases, they knocked my hand off their shoulder and said, what are you praying? I said, you can look at your circumstances two different ways. You can either be miserable or you can say, Lord, I think I'm strategically placed Walk with me here and open my eyes to see why you have me here at this place right now. And Paul lived that way. 
And he encourages Philemon to live that way. You see, Philemon had an escaped slave named Onesimus, and he just happened to come by where Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Paul just happened to lead him to Christ. It's just a, cir a circumstance. Don't let it build your faith. Just a coincidence. No, it was by design. God's involved in these processes, and he brings you to, to uh, the place where he could use you with others. So, so my question would be, in what way will we grow in intimacy with Christ if we share our faith? How's that work? Well, I want to give you at least three ways. If there's three, there might be 303. But I'll put the first one in context. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. I played high school football with guys who got free televisions during the Watts riots. Uh, we, we, we went to a church in the city, and, and I, I loved the people there. The social life of our family kind of revolved around that church, but I never heard the gospel there. I was told if I went to a movie and Jesus came back while I was in the theater, I'd go straight to hell. I, I desperately wanted to see Walt Disney's The Shaggy Dog, but didn't know if it was worth risking my eternal destiny to go see the neighbor lady, Mrs. Greenlee, came by. I'm not embellishing this a bit. And she asked my mom if my brothers and I could go with her boys, Mike and Fred, to go see the shaggy dog. And I'm looking at my mother with ambivalence. I want to go on one hand, scared stiff on the other hand. And my mother said we could go. And I began to wonder if she really loved me, that she'd put my life in such eternal peril. I grew up being told if I lived a holy life all my life, but had one bad thought the last second of my life, I'd go straight to hell. And you know what I learned by that? If I could lose this relationship with God based on what I did, I was having to gain it based on what I did. And I never saw how the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and his work accomplished at Calvary and in the resurrection did for me. And I just thought, I'm destined for hell. I lived like that, and I was miserable. I went to college. I had an older brother, and he invited me to a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. And for the first time in my life, I heard that the God of the universe loved me unconditionally. It was not based on my performance. I was so moved by that. And that he forgave me of all of my sins. And that the hope of heaven was secure, not based on my efforts, but by based on what he did for me. And I have never stopped being grateful for that fact. And I responded to the gospel. I was so enthusiastic, I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. That Tuesday night, I became a Christian on a Sunday night. Tuesday night, I saw a couple guys in the dorm. I said, you guys, come into the dorm. I've got to tell you about something. Something happened to me Sunday night. I think it's changing my life. And I shared everything I knew in about maybe three minutes. And I said, I want you to know more. I don't know what more to tell you. Let's pray. And I prayed, Lord, help these guys know how much you love them. And just then, a knock on the door it was Three Campus Crusade for Christ guys coming to follow me up. We didn't have an appointment. The guys in the room, their eyes get big as saucers after we just prayed that. And the Crusade guys, when they found out that I was talking to guys about Jesus, their eyes got big as saucers. And one of them pulled me out in the hall and said, let's see if we can upgrade your content level here. And the other two guys were in the room, and two of those three guys came to faith. I go, wow, this is cool. And I just wanted to tell people about Jesus but I didn't know very much. 
And I started to grow because when I would tell people about Jesus, people would ask me a question. Oh yeah, well if God's good and all powerful, why does evil exist in the universe? What about people who have never heard? What about the other religions? How do you really know the Bible's a word of God? And all the questions started coming and I was clueless. But I said to these people, if that's what's holding you up, I won't leave a stone unturned till I find out. And I started digging for answers. And when I started discovering answers, I started saying, this thing is way more fascinating than I first imagined. If it's the questions that people might ask that are keeping you from sharing your faith, you're missing out. Let them ask the questions. Go dig and grow in intimacy and understanding of your life with Christ. I don't think we get to the bottom of all these questions. We get substantive answers. But every truth you know can still be plumbed deeper. And it can be applied in areas where you haven't even begun to ask questions. But you will grow as you begin to look for these answers. And it's fascinating. If you have no questions about your faith whatsoever, you are delusional. You think you've achieved omniscience. God is big. Remember Lucy in the Narnian books? She encounters the Christ figure, Narnia, and, uh, uh, I mean, Aslan. And what does she say to him the first time she encounters him on her second trip in Prince Caspian? Aslan, you're bigger. No, child, I am not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. And when you start sharing your faith, you're going to start to see he's really big. That's one way you'll grow. People ask you questions. Second way you'll grow is people start to scrutinize your life. They want to know if it's real. They want to know if it's percolating in your life and manifest outside. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. I guarantee you if you're sharing your faith, other people will feel responsible to help you examine your life for you. I knew a man once, he said, I would never put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. I'd have to drive better. <laughs> you start sharing your faith, you're going to have to drive better. And that's helpful. And if somebody sees some deficiency in you and they point it out, don't be put off by that. Thank them. Say to them, you know what? I, I want to follow Jesus. And I want his life to begin to emanate from me and shine forth from my life. And you're helping me right now. That, that was a blind spot. I was unaware of it. Thank you. I'm going to pray about it. And even maybe you heard him. Maybe you were obnoxious or something. Say, you know what? Please forgive me. And the reason why I'm asking you to forgive me is because I would never want anything that I did to keep you from seeing how deeply you're loved by Jesus. None of these things are the end of the discussion. They're the opportunity for you to lean in and grow and see this exciting life. The next area you're going to grow, you're going to grow people asking questions, you're going to grow, they're going to scrutinize your life. You're also going to grow because you're going to start seeing Jesus show up in your life. I knew this man, he started a church out in Ohio, and it grew, it got really big. He had a businessman in his church who was on his board, and this businessman was a very creative guy, an engineer, started a company from scratch. My friend had never seen the company, and the businessman said, I want you to come see my company, and then we're going to go to lunch, and we'll talk about church business. My pastor friend went to that guy's business. He couldn't believe it. 500 employees, massive, massive place. And as he walked through that company, people were coming up and asking him for advice, and he had assessed things. He, he would go through, and the, the, the businessman would say, hey, John, how are you doing? Did you guys win that, that bowling league thing last night? 
Hey, Sylvia, it's good to have you back after your maternity leave. How's the baby? I hope you brought some pictures. Called everybody by name. He saw the genius of the place, and he saw the character of the man that he had never seen before. He said, I knew him for years at church. I never really got to know him until I got to know him in his workplace. You can know Jesus for years at church. You will never get to know him as deeply as you can until you get to know him in his workplace. Okay, so this is all good and well. We grow because people ask questions. We grow because people ask our, 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 our scrutinize our life. We grow because we see him showing up. We don't take Jesus to anybody. He's already there. He's more interested in that person than you or I will ever be. But we get to go where he's at work and we get to make explicit what he might be doing implicitly as he's tugging at their hearts. Those are the ways we're going to grow, but how do you do it? One thing to talk about, but how do you do it? Well, I, I'm pretty extroverted. I talk to people about Jesus all the time. I see people come to Christ with some regularity. But some people are not like me, and you don't have to be like me to share Christ. We don't have to be like the Apostle Paul to fulfill what the Scriptures say. We're not going to probably leave the area where we're leaving, living and try to go all over the world and do that. Some people will call to that. Most of us are not. We're to do it where we're living at this moment in time. And, 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 and as I think about this, I think there's an easy way that anybody could share Christ, whether you're extroverted or introverted. The senior pastor of the first church I went to after I was a Christian, his, he used to say to me, Jerry, if God answered every prayer you prayed this last week, would there be anybody new in the kingdom? If I'm not praying for people to come to Christ, odds are I'm missing out opportunities that percolate in my life every day. He also used to say, people who pray see lots of coincidences. I'll give you an example of how it could work. I used to live in Santa Barbara, California. If you believe in Jesus when you die, I think you go to Santa Barbara. And I would have working lunches four days a week. And I'd go to the same restaurant. You get tired of the food, but I'm not there for the food. I'm there for another reason. I wanted to plant Christ's flag in that one place. The guy who was the owner of the restaurant, his name was Brad. It was called Duffy Doherty's Sports Bar and Grill. He had played for uh, Michigan State years ago. And so every day I would go in there, I would try to make face-to-face -face contact with Brad. I put his name on my prayer list right away. And I would pray for him every day. One day I'd maybe say, hey, Brad, I really like the mahi-mahi sandwich. I hope you keep it on the menu. Hey, Brad, did you catch the game last night? Hey, Brad, how's business going? After three weeks of small talk, I said to him, you know what, Brad? I pray for you every day. I've never said that to anybody in my life and had them say back, well, would you stop it? Most people are moved somebody's praying for them. The next three weeks, small talk. Three weeks later, hey, Brad, I pray for you every day. He said, you said that a few weeks ago. I didn't think you were really doing it, but you're, you're saying it again. You must be doing it. I said, Brad, I never miss. He said, Jerry, would you pray for my boys too? I wrote down the name of his boys I told my family, Brad asked me to pray for his boys. One of my kids said, oh, Dad, his one son goes to my school. I wish you could have been there five months later when my daughter came home from youth group and said, Dad, one of the guys brought Brad's son to youth group and he gave his heart to Jesus tonight. So every three weeks, I would just tell him I was praying for him. 
I didn't get any more aggressive than that. Oh, we led one of the waitresses at that restaurant to Christ over that time, and we led a guy that was a, a, a friend of my best friend who was sitting in another booth by himself. We invited him to come sit with us. We had gotten a conversation. He gave his heart to Jesus in that restaurant. Nine months passed, and Brad comes up to me one day when I'm eating there, and he said, Jerry, I want to talk to you after lunch. He was a big guy. He was a former NFL football player. I want to talk to you after lunch. And I said, okay, Brad. I called my secretary, changed my appointments for that afternoon. We went down to a coffee shop, and he just bore his heart to me of all the sad stuff in his life. Why? The most aggressive I ever got was I was just telling him I was praying for him, but he knew there was somebody who was spiritually concerned for his welfare. Three hours he talked to me, and after three hours I said, Brad, I think you need Jesus. And I shared the gospel in about three to five minutes, and he said, I think I need Jesus too. I don't want to give him my life like it is right now. I'm going to fix it first, and then I'll give it to him. I said, well, you can try it like that. That's not the way it's usually done. And if your way doesn't work, give me a call. And I went back to every three weeks telling him I was praying for him. Five months later, I get a call at my office. Jerry, can I come see you? I never had anybody use more Kleenex than that guy used the day he became a Christian. It doesn't say in here you have to use Kleenex. We started follow-up. You know why this is important? About six years ago, Brad dropped dead of a heart attack. You want to know something else? I'm going to introduce you to him one day because this stuff matters, and it matters forever. And we get to participate in what God's work is in the world. I, I start praying for people. If they come to faith, I remember one time I was sitting at home. My day off was on a Friday. And I was sitting at home on a Friday, and, and I said, Lord, there are people on your radar screen that aren't on my radar screen. Open my eyes to see. And just then the garbage guy pulled up. And I go, wow, that guy comes to my house every day. I don't even have to go looking for him. So I put in my prayer list, garbage guy. The next week, I knew he came by Fridays about 10 o'clock. It was a hot part of the year. I had a glass of iced tea all ready for him. As soon as he pulled up, I go running out to the car, and it was one of those ones where they walked around the back and they threw it in the back basket, and he comes around the back, I'm already standing there, and he's looking at, you know, surprised. I said, you look like you could use a break. Here, you drink the iced tea, I'll throw the trash. He's, he's kind of looking at this iced tea, and who's this guy, and takes a little taste sip to make sure it's not poison or something. Finally, I said, what's your name? He said, Mike. He has a name, Mike. I erase garbage guy and I start praying for Mike. And every week I was out there with something cold to drink in the summer, something hot to drink in the winter. And one day he came by about noon. I, I, I said, Mike, you're late today. What, what's going on? He said, I had troubles on the route. I said, well, it's near lunch. Have you eaten lunch yet? He said, no. I said, you want to come on in? I'll make you a sandwich. He said, okay. I didn't know those guys could do that. He came in, I made him a sandwich. You know what else he did? He changed his whole route and came by at noon every week after that. <laughs> and it was in that context I was able to share the gospel with him. You know what his story was? There was a dear, precious woman in his neighborhood when he was a kid who had a backyard Bible club, shared the gospel with all the kids in the neighborhood, and he remembered praying the prayer. And two weeks later, his folks moved and nobody ever followed him out. God knew, and God knew that I knew 
And somehow God connected us so I could follow him up, and he was growing. Then there was Steve. He was the mailman. He came to my house every day, not just once a week. And I don't know about you, but every time the mailman comes to my house, I say, would you like to use the toilet? I mean, I don't know what those people do when they're on their routes like that, but just a simple act of kindness. Jesus says a cup of cold water sometimes will be significant. And Steve and I developed a relationship, and it wasn't long where I was able to lead Steve to Jesus. I said, Steve, you need to come to church. Come with me. He says, well, Jerry, I'm divorced, and I got the kids on the weekends, and I, I think it would be kind of awkward and difficult. I said, I'll tell you what, our church has great stuff for kids. Your kids will love it. Why don't you come to church, and then afterwards come on over for dinner. And I wish, I wish you could have been there when I was able then to lead Steve's two kids to Jesus after we ate lunch at our house. There are people out there who want to know. How do I know? Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. Last week, last week I was over in England. I was at C.S. Lewis's church in Headington. It's interesting when, when you're in a church, there are people all the time who come to churches who are looking for something. If your pastor gave you seating charts at this church, you'd all rebel. But look at you, you sit in the same place every Sunday anyway. <laughs> what if you became pastors of your pew or pastors of your, your area? You see somebody new and you've never seen them before. What if you go up to them and say, I don't, I, I've never seen you before and I just want you to know I usually sit around here all the time. Uh, tell me about yourself. I've seen people come to church and leave and nobody talks to them. It's not been my experience here. It seems like everybody I've met has greeted me with such kindness and such warmth. But you want to make sure that if somebody comes here and they're looking for something. I remember one time I saw this guy sitting here and I said, what's your name? He said, Robert. I said, Robert, I don't think I've ever seen you before. I said, yeah, I've never been here before. Well, what brings you here? Well, my girlfriend broke up with me this last week. I'm pretty ripped up. I thought maybe I could find something at a church. He could have walked in and walked out. Nobody talked with him. I led him to Christ. And we did follow up with him. And he started growing. He's a pastor in Arizona now. These things can happen. And it's so much fun. So last week, I was in C.S. Lewis's church. And I saw this couple sitting there. And they're reading these cards. Because there's a Narnian window in that church. And they're reading the card. And I said, oh, are you guys Lewis fans? They said, no. I said, uh, where are you from? They said, Headington, same town. I said, do you go to this church? No. Are, are, are you Christians? We don't really know what that means. Could you tell us? <laughs> yeah, I can. And I shared the gospel with them. And, and, and they both came to Jesus. Jack and Alice came to Jesus. I've already started sending them follow-up material. They're in our world. We get to tell them. Guess what? Sometimes it doesn't always go well. If you're afraid of striking out, don't play baseball. But if you don't play baseball, you'll never know the joy of hitting a home run. And you share. You may find that it doesn't go well, and then you find out years later that you were number seven to share with that person, and it was the 12th person who completed the transaction. These prompts come from on high. God's involved in the transaction. We're his servants, and we're going to be used by him where we're at. And I want to say to you, as our worship band is coming up, I want to say to you that if you apply some of the things that we've been talking about this morning, 
you will see somebody come to faith this next year. And if you find your heart moving in that direction and making this a part of the practice of your life, just as this text says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. There'll be a level of intimacy that you had not known before, and it will be yours, and it is so much fun. How many people did we talk to today about Jesus just in passing? Half a dozen, maybe more? If you love Jesus, it starts to percolate out of your heart. Let's pray. Father, we offer ourselves afresh to you. Take us and use us. And use us to bring other people to yourself. And in the process, help us to grow as well. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.